Blake Norman. How are we doing today? How's everybody feeling? All right, that was about four of you. This is what I told first service. Uh, again, Pastor Manny and I got back from Africa. We are seven hours ahead in our biological clock. So right now I feel like it's 6 p.m., all right, I need another cup of coffee. I need something. So I'm going to need some energy from you guys this morning. So second service, how are we feeling today? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Well, hey, listen, over the past several weeks, uh, Pastor Jenna and myself have, have been, well, I said Pastor Jenna. She is a pastor, I guess. Uh, my wife, Jenna, and I have been able to recalibrate. We've been able to reflect, and we've been able to recharge I want to say thank you to our team and everything that they have done, uh, carrying the load, preaching. Thank you to Pastor Manny, uh, Pastor Judah, Pastor Jonah. Thank you to Mr. C, uh, Pastor Doug, Brian King. I know he stood in as well. Um, by the way, uh, Brian King and Gene, they went, on a, they went to a concert last night in Tennessee. They went to see Petra. Anybody, anybody else? Y'all see them go? Could y'all see Brian King, like, listen, rocking out to some Petra last night? Uh, so, Mr. Brian, if you're watching online, thank you so much for filling in the gap. Church, I have to tell you, I feel that God is, is truly on the move in and throughout Multiply Church as a whole. Uh, last week, if you were here, I sent Pastor Doug a, a, a message and an image of our church in Zambia. I know he shared it last week, but I want to share it again today. Uh, this is a picture of our church in Zambia. We had over 120 different individuals uh, attend church. We had, it's something to get loud about, we had 13 salvations. Uh, we had several more rededicate their life to Jesus. Uh, it's not just about what we're doing here in Lake Norman as a church, but what we're doing across the globe. And it takes every single person in this room. But, but I would be amiss if I don't um, acknowledge two specific individuals. I'm going to ask Toby and, and Kay Hudson to stand. I want y'all to make some noise. For Mr. Toby and Miss Kay. So you, you've heard us talk about Zambia a bit. This is part of the story that you don't know. This story didn't start six months ago. It didn't start two years ago. It started nearly 15 years ago when Toby and Kay Hudson said yes to the call of God on their life to go on a short-term mission trip to Livingston. And throughout that time, they were able to go time after time, year after year. They created a cooperative that helped individuals uh, with, with kids who were uh, malnourished. And, and they were able to teach them how to raise goats to help supplement goat milk to, to raise the kids. Truly impacting and meeting a need of an entire area. And then Pastor Manny and I get to show up and, and to see, Toby, to see all the relationships that you had. To see all the people that kind of came out of the, the woodworks. One, you can't hide there just like I can't hide there. We were probably the lightest thing they've ever seen, right? But, but just, just the community and the family and the acceptance, the way they opened their doors, the way they welcomed us into their homes, the meals that we shared together, that all was possible because you and Kay said yes to the call of God on your life. You and Kay said yes to, to going and visiting. And, and I know that God didn't bring this vision, this dream, this desire this far just to bring it this far. I, I'm expecting and I'm excited for what's to come. Before we left, we sat down with, with Pastor Esau and, and Miriam and, and Pastor Percy and some of the leadership team there. And, uh, and they were excited. One, they were excited that we came. But two, they were excited because they had the dream and the desire to plant three more churches next year in Zambia. 
So that's something to get excited about as well. We're going to partner with them and help them, and we'll have other locations, uh, multiply locations in Zambia. But one more time, can we give it up for Mr. Tay, or Mr. Toby and Ms. Kay? We also had the privilege of, of visiting with Adam and Alicia Fogelman in Namibia. And if you remember several months ago, they spent several months with us here before they packed everything up and moved to a country they had only visited one time. Can, can you, could you imagine that? You, you and your significant other, you go on a trip and you go halfway across the world and you're on this continent of Africa and you go to this, you go to this country and this country's name is... Nam How many of you didn't know Namibia was a country? Be honest with me. And then half the people whose arms are down, you were like, I think I did, but I really didn't. I saw it on Jeopardy or something like... But they go to this country and, and they, they step on this soil and they just instantly felt that the Lord was calling them to plant a church. So Adam and Alicia and their daughter, Emma, have moved there, and we were able to spend some time with them. I thought we were going there to encourage them, but man, every person that we encountered, they encouraged us. I I'm excited and I'm expectant for what the Lord is doing in and through Multiply Church. Now today, it excites me to be able to preach, to share something that's close to my heart, and if you will allow it, I think it could radically change your perspective on life. I'll start out by asking this question. Have you ever been around people in your specific field that you admired? Maybe you're a teacher and there's other teachers you've admired. Maybe you're a business owner or an entrepreneur and there's other people that, that you've admired. Ed, maybe, maybe there's other musicians and other vocalists that you've admired from afar. And, and maybe there's individuals that you've admired in your profession thinking, I, I want to become like that one day. And then all of a sudden, if you're not careful, that admiration starts to shift, that admiration starts to turn and that admiration actually turns into a lack of confidence in your own ability. Again, maybe you're that business owner and, and you've been around other business owner and you've admired how they've grown their business, how they've led, how they've dealt with conflict. You've admired their resolve in hard or difficult situations and that admiration quickly turned to a lack of confidence thinking to yourself, I can't do what they do. I don't possess the skill sets that they possess. I don't have that ability. Maybe you're an engineer or you work in logistics and you think to myself, I'm just not as smart as them. I, I don't possess that, that skill set. Or maybe, maybe you're raising a family. And maybe you've looked at other families and you've gone, that family's got it figured out. Their kids are following Jesus. Their, their marriage seems to be perfect, and you watch it from afar, and then when you get in your own home, in your own bubble, you're like, I don't have the confidence to do this. I have no idea how they make it look so easy. By the way, there's no perfect family, and every family has trouble inside the walls of their home. <laughs> Three of you said amen. I guess we got perfect families out there. Okay, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. But sometimes we lose our confidence because of the way people treat us. Sometimes we'll lose our, lose our confidence because of the way people respond to us. And again, we get inside of our own heads. And, and this is what I know. When you don't know who made you or what your purpose is, you end up treating yourself like trash and putting yourself in places you don't belong. There's this great film of philosophy. There's this great film that it has philosophy, it has deep thought, 
In this movie, it'll move you to tears. It has romance. It has friendship. It's mixed with adventure and suspense. And that movie is none other than Toy Story 4. I don't know if you have ever seen Toy Story 4. But, but let me give you, I was going to show a clip. I was told I couldn't show it, so I got to explain the movie because it'll take us down online if I, if I share it. So I'm going to just explain this movie to you for just a second. But if you remember in Toy Story 4, there's this character by the name of Forky. And Forky was this, this toy that Bonnie created. And Bonnie's the little girl, and, and she has all the toys. And, and she goes to kindergarten, and, and she finds this trash, or Woody throws this trash on a table. And, and she, she kind of manufactures this toy made out of a spork, some cotton like wire things, and some toothpicks. She writes her little name on the bottom of, of Forky's feet. And Forky becomes her most favorite toy, but, but Forky has a problem. Forky has this mindset that, that he was made out of trash and that he will always be trash. So Forky comes home with Bonnie and Woody takes him out of the book bag and introduces Forky to, to all of the other toys. And, and one of the toys looks at Forky and goes, I've got a question. Actually, I've got all the questions. Basically saying, what is that? that that's, not, that's not a toy. That, that's, that's trash. And all Forky knows how to say is trash, trash. And Forky like waddles over to the trash and, and jumps in. And there's this scene the entire night. Forky's on the bed, stands up, waddles to the side of the bed and like dive bombs into the trash. And Woody's in the trash throwing Forky back on the bed. All Forky thinks is that, that Forky is trash and and some of us, at some point in our life, has had this spirit of forky in us. That, that we are absolutely nothing, that, that I'm not important, that I don't truly belong to God. We feel as if our lives are absolutely made of nothing but trash. We start living our lives that way, and, and trash is all we'll ever be. We may fall short, people judge us, and, and we feel as if we're just throwaways. We feel as if we don't belong. We feel as if we should stay in the trash the rest of our lives. And in certain areas of our lives, we've lost every shred of confidence that we've ever had. The scary thing is, it can roll over into other areas of our life. You could maybe lack confidence as a business owner, and then all of a sudden you lack confidence in every other area of your life because it begins to manifest and take root inside of your heart, inside of your mind, and your soul, and you begin to focus on you, what you think you lack opposed to who God has called you to be. So we end up living something like this. By the way, another word for trash in your life is sin, and we all have it. There's not one perfect person in this room, but what happens is we sin and we have trash in our life and then we end up walking around and we end up bringing out our trash and our trash follows us around. And now here's the problem. All of y'all are looking at my trash and not looking at me. All of y'all are looking at what I'm carrying around opposed to looking at who God has called me to be. And so we pull this trash out. Now, here's the problem. We can't get away from our trash. We can't get away from our junk. We can't get away from our sin. I'm going to ask Pastor Manning to come up. 
And the world, the world kind of gets a hold of our sin. Sometimes people get a hold of our sin and we try our best to get away from it, but the world starts to pull it and people start to pull it. And inevitably what happens is we kind of get tangled up in our trash and we can no longer get away from it. And we feel as if this is who we are and this is where I have to live. And we feel like Forky just saying, I'm trash. My life is trash. I'm full of sin and I belong here. But remember, remember the movie. Remember Woody. Woody's in the trash and he's constantly, he's constantly telling Forky how valuable he is. Constantly pulling Forky out of the trash saying, no, you're, you're Bonnie's favorite toy. Can I remind you that in God's eyes, you are absolutely his favorite creation that he has ever made? You are absolutely the creation that he has called you to be. You are not your sin. You are not your shortcomings. You are absolutely who God has called you to be. Two weeks ago, Mr. C put it this way. He said, when we sin, we want mercy for ourselves and justice for everyone else. When we sin, when we fall short, God have mercy on me. People have mercy on me. But when someone else sins, we want to point the finger and say, they deserve justice. And inevitably what happens is we feel as if this is all we will ever be. Our trash follows, follows us around as if it's who we are. But this is not who or what God has called us. Yes, we are called to address sin, but your sin does not define you. People does not, do not confine you. God and God alone define you, defines you. Now listen, that's not a cop-out. It's absolutely biblical, and, and we see it acknowledged in the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> now, the book of Hebrews has this overview, and I'll, I'll give it to you. Hebrew, Hebrews, in and of itself, compares and contrasts Jesus to key historical people and events from the Hebrew Bible. And through these comparisons, we see his absolute superiority, because Jesus stands above it all. We sang about that just a few moments ago. In the Bible, Hebrews references that Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than everything in heaven. He stands above it all. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is greater than the Torah. He's, he's greater than the laws that have been presented before us. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all of the forefathers. He's greater than all the individuals that, that have stood the test of time through faith. He's greater than the promised land. What is that reference to us today? He's greater than any destination that we will ever obtain. He, he's greater than any bank account that we will ever have. He's greater than any job title that we will ever have. He's greater than the promised land. Jesus himself is greater than earthly priests. He's greater than any, any individual that will ever stand on this stage. I don't care who you listen to during the week. You could listen to our sermons. You could listen to Craig Groeschel or Bobby Boucher. I really don't care. Jesus is above them all. Some of y'all are like, Bobby Boucher? I've never heard of that pastor. My, my, my mama said, my mama said, high quality H2O. Jesus is greater than sacrifices. Remember, sacrifices were seen in the Bible as a connection and communion with God in the Old Testament. Jesus is greater than the covenant. Jesus is greater. He himself is greater than the promise of God. Hebrews chapter 1, 
the writer acknowledges that, that prophets and people were used to speak to other individuals and there was not a direct connection to God. And then God sent his son Jesus that we could talk to him directly, that we could commune with him directly. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, we see two specific instances where, where we see God's, or we see Jesus' divinity and we also see Christ's humanity. We, we see him for who he was. He was absolutely divine, but he was absolutely human. Now today, <clears throat> we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 34. Let me read these verses to us. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone who deserves to be punished, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated, at, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? That's a mouthful. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Last three verses. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accept, accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. I could preach on these verses for the next three months. I've got 20 minutes. So we're going to get rocking and rolling. At our men's retreat, we incorporated this acronym, IGYB. IGYB, I got your back. I've heard many of the individuals in this room uh, say it over the past few months, but, but I, I, I got your back, IGYB. The acronym was not I-G-Y-B-W-T-A-E. I got your back when things are easy. It's easy to have someone's back when things are easy. But what does it look like when the rubber meets the road and life gets difficult? If we dive into Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to underline, highlight, write down verse 35 through 39. Let me read this to us. Fair warning, these four verses will absolutely wreck you. Verse 35 starts out, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteousness, one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved. It's a long intro. If I had to title my message one thing today, it would be this. Don't throw away your confidence. 
Don't throw away your confidence. If we're not careful, we'll act like trash. We'll act like forky. If we're, we're not careful, we'll think that God made a mistake. We'll think that we're nothing but, but failures. We're nothing but problems. We're nothing but trash. If you fall short, you'll feel like you're trash. If you don't make a high school team or a college team or a middle school team, you'll feel like trash. If you don't make the grades that you want to make in school, sometimes you can feel like trash. If you don't get the promotion that you think you deserve, sometimes you will feel like trash. And what we do is we clip our trash to ourselves and we think this is absolutely who we've become and there's no way to get away from it. Again, another word for trash in your life is sin. And if you allow sin to be attached to your life without addressing it, it begins to consume you. And if it consumes you, then it has a hold on you. Then you will focus on your inadequacies. You will focus on your failures and you will focus on your sin. But the Bible teaches us, the Bible teaches us to acknowledge our sin, not to focus on our sin. We are to address and acknowledge our sin, but to always focus on Jesus And today we're going to focus on building our confidence that is rooted in Jesus because the world is too good at tearing us down and telling us how good we're not. So what does the Bible say in verse 35? Do not throw away your confidence. There's truth tethered throughout this scripture that that will keep you from throwing away your confidence if you allow them to, if you hide them in your heart. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Our first point today is this. How do you not throw away your confidence? Number one is to encourage others. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. By the way, asterisk, side note, soapbox, don't give up meeting together. Sunday morning matters. Being a part of a group matters. Stuff like this absolutely matters. And if we're not careful, we'll think, well, the pastor's just saying that because he wants to fill the church on Sunday morning. No, I want it for your soul. The Bible is very clear that we're not called to do life alone. And you can make every excuse you want to about why you're not in church on a Sunday morning. Now, I get it. You go on vacation. I get it. Like, I go on vacation. I'm not here every single Sunday. But when you just wake up and you're like, I don't think I'm going today because I don't feel like it. I promise you that the enemy is not going to take it easy on you because you didn't feel like it. There's rest. There's rest and there's there's protection in community. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day approaching? It's the day of Jesus' return. So IGYB, I got your back. But do do you really... Chris Hazlett, when we were on our men's retreat, he asked this question, and it, and it shook a few of us, but he said, hey, who are you calling when life gets hard? Who are you calling? Like, if you had to write someone's name down right now, when you, when you face the most difficult situation in your life that you've ever faced, who are you calling? And if you get called, here's the follow-up, are you answering if you get the call? Or are there stipulations to you answering? Will you only answer if it makes you look good? Will you only answer if it doesn't go too far? Or do you pick up? That's something you can wrestle with yourself. IGYB, I'm thankful for a Jesus who chases me down. I'm thankful for a Jesus who washes away my sin. 
I'm thankful for a Jesus who shows me grace and mercy. I'm thankful for a Jesus who loves me enough to lead me toward constant sanctification. I promised Pastor Judah I would try to get his favorite word in there. And Judah's favorite word is sanctification. Are, are there optics or are they for real? The purpose of being there for each other is scriptural. It says to act in love and good deed, not giving up meeting together. The Bible does not say affirm sin. The Bible does not say that we should avoid the situation. The Bible says encourage one another. Why? For the day is approaching. What's the day? His return. I pray to God I don't have unfinished business because I, I didn't do everything that God had called me to do before he returns. Think about the disciples and they were following Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and many of you know the story. The guards come, they grab Jesus, and his disciples do what? They stay beside him every hour of every day. No. Those jokers ran. They scattered. They fled. In fact, they denied Jesus. They said, I don't, I don't even know who this guy is. If it happened to Jesus, it's, it's probably going to happen to us. Church, we will be a body and a people, not of division, but one of encouragement. The second thing that we see in the scripture is this. The way we build our confidence is steering clear of sin. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. It's interesting to me that the writer of Hebrew chooses, Hebrews chooses the word deliberately. Another translation says willfully. The Greek origination is hekousios, and by definition, it's uh, consent to repeatedly act voluntarily. So it would be saying something like this, I know I'm forgiven, I know Jesus, once I've been justified, once I've been saved, I've stepped into a relationship with him, and he's forgotten all of my sin. But what happens if you willfully sin? What happens if you sin on purpose? Let's take a look at the Hebrew context. I have to ask this question back to you. When is our will not involved in any sin that we commit? Had this conversation with a few guys yesterday in a text message thread, or a couple days ago. One of my buddies shot a, a message to our group and said, hey, what do you think about this verse? Manny and I were stuck on a plane for 11 hours, so I decided, you know what? Let's not just read the verse. Let's read the entire book of the Bible. See, many times if we're not careful, we can pull out one verse and we can say, I think it means that because of, of what it says, opposed to looking at the fullness of the context, looking at the historical context, looking at the biblical context. Where does that verse fit inside the chapter? Where does that chapter fit inside the book? And, and where does that book fit inside the whole of the Bible? It's important for us to, to take a deep dive into any verse or any chapter we ever read. And that's something that we're going to do today with Hebrews chapter 10. Because if we look at the passage of the context, what we know is this. This isn't a letter written to the church at Colossae. This isn't a letter written to the church at Philippi. This isn't a letter written to the church at Ephesus. This is written to Jewish believers, not to Gentiles. And the Jewish struggle at this point in time is that they have heard the gospel message and they continue to deny Jesus is who he says he is. 
Context in this situation absolutely matters. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to out of the Bible. Now, in the book of Hebrews, it has one type of sin that's mentioned for the first 10 chapters. And that one type of sin is the sin of unbelief. Now, in context, the only willful choice is not believing in Jesus. Saying something along the lines of, Jesus, yeah, right. Jesus, I don't believe in that guy. Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with him. So it poses the question again, then how do we steer clear from sin? Because for many of us, this can seem daunting because we have the propensity to equate obedience with perfection. That I have to be perfect in following God. By the way, newsflash, only one person was perfect and his name was Jesus. All of us have trash in our life. All of us have sin in our life. I like the way one author writes, he says, I have sin and I have it, I have it more than all of, you, all of you do. Let me pause. The book of Hebrews is not an excuse for sin. The book of Hebrews does not, does not make light of sin. It causes us to take a deeper look at sin. Because if walking in a manner worthy of my calling or worthy of your calling means that we never misspeak, that we're never lazy, that we're always kind, that we never doubt, that we never fall short, then the moment that we sin, we're left feeling hopeless and, and, and we want to constantly throw in the towel because we're trying to obtain this perfection that's absolutely unobtainable. Obedience is not perfection. Let me give you this analogy. It's like, it's like, raising kids. I use my wife for service because she's a saint. She never loses her temper with our kids, and I do. But my wife does such a good job at, at raising our two girls, and, and there's some mornings that we get up, and we get frustrated with them. We're like, just get your clothes on and brush your teeth, dear Lord. Like, any, anybody else? No, we're terrible parents. Okay. I'm like, we got, we got to go. Like, we got to get out the door. We're going to be late. Like, come on. And we can get frustrated sometimes. And we can think that we've missed the mark. Listen, being a parent isn't about, is not about perfectly raising your kids or never making mistakes, but it's about deliberately trying to get better each and every day. The same holds true with following Jesus. It's not about trying to obtain perfection. We will never obtain perfection, but it's about taking a step towards Jesus every single day. Two of you are with me. I'm preaching to myself this morning. The Bible puts it like this in Matthew chapter 11. It says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. There is rest when you come to Jesus, but Matthew does not stop there. Yes, we will fall short. Yes, there's this physical rest when we follow Jesus, but there's more and we get to more through obedience. When we fall, we fall forward. When we learn, we learn from our mistakes. When we learn from our, we learn from our sin. Living the word means living the word in the highs and the lows. By the way, if you fall and you make a mistake, you can still follow the word of God. Just because you fall off the horse one time doesn't mean run down the path in the direction away from Jesus. It means get back on the horse and start riding towards Jesus. For some reason, when we sin sometimes in our life, we think, well, I've messed up. I might as well keep messing up. Why? That doesn't make sense. 
I can mess up in my life. I can sin in my life. That doesn't mean keep running after sin. That means take a hard 180 and start sprinting after Jesus. We think that when we sin, Jesus shuns us. He turns from us. In fact, he's running towards us with arms wide open. And we're trying to outrun him as fast as he's running towards us. Get back on the horse. Turn the other direction. Run towards Jesus. Matthew 11 goes on to say this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. What, what does that mean? Well, hey, when you mess up, I'm gentle. And Jesus says, I'm gentle and I'm humble when you mess up. And you will find rest for your souls. It's not just about you finding physical rest. It's about you finding spiritual rest and finding that rest for your soul. We steer clear of sin by, by allowing our souls to find rest. And our souls find rest by living the word of God in the form of obedience, not perfection. We continue to build our confidence. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number three, knowing where your confidence comes from. We have to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, that is his body. Jesus' body that was broken for us allows us to step into a relationship with God the Father through the blood of Jesus. So we have to know where our confidence comes from. Our confidence does not come from our actions our confidence does not come from our emotions. Our confidence doesn't come from our service. Our confidence doesn't come from our right living. I've said this before. I'll say it again. We think that time is stronger than the grace of God. We think that the longer that we're away from sin, God will forgive us even more. God has forgiven you the moment that you do sin. You can't outrun grace. You run towards grace. But right living is not stronger than the blood of Jesus. The lack of sin in your life is not stronger than the blood of Jesus. Your sacrifices are not stronger than the blood of Jesus. It's strictly by the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone. You can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But God gave his son freely that you and I would know that it is through Christ and Christ alone that we're made into new creations. The fourth way to build your confidence is this. Pick your feet up. This one's going to hurt a little bit. By enduring struggles and suffering. Zach, couldn't you just leave that one out? I wish I had editing rights, and I wish I could, but I can't. I wish I had editing rights to my life. Like, control, alt, delete, new page, whatever. Like, get, get rid of that. Let's retype something else. But, but we don't. So we lean in, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through 36. Remember those early days. Now, let me pause here. Let me give you some context. I'm going to read a few more words. Remember those early days after you had received the light. So it's not, remember those early days when you weren't following Jesus and you can make whatever excuse you want to about those sins in your life. It's remember the early, early days after you received the what? the light, after you had stepped into a relationship with Jesus. The author of Hebrews is saying, hey, remember after you stepped into a relationship with Jesus, and I want you to remember those struggles. Not the struggles that you had BC. Not the struggles that you had before Christ. The struggles that you had after you followed Jesus. And, and then the author goes on to say this, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you are publicly exposed to insult 
and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. That right there will preach. Verse 34, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Verse 35, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Church, what I know is suffering is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. And more often than not, that suffering and that pain is self-inflicted. We put ourselves in situations we should have never been in. And sometimes you'll experience it for yourself and, and other times you'll stand side by side with others, but you find out what you're made of when trials come toward you and or toward someone you're standing with. You find out what you're really made of when you begin to walk through trials. Now here's the problem. Because I, I can read that we're called to endure struggles, we're called to endure suffering, and some of us will, but our eyes are fixed in the wrong places. And this is what I mean by that. If you're enduring suffering, if you're enduring hardships, but you're worried about who's beside you and who's standing with you and who's standing around you and who's encouraging you, you've already missed the mark. You shouldn't be worried about who's going to walk through those sufferings and those trials with you. Your focus should be on Jesus and Jesus alone. Your, your focus and your eyes should be on the Lord because he's the only one that's going to carry you all the way through. People are going to come and go. And if, you're, if your hope, if your faith is in the people who you think are linking arms with you, then you've already missed the mark. Inevitably, that's just going to pull you down. Your focus has to be on Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we have that focus on Jesus, the fifth point is very clear, that we don't shrink back. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I listened to a sermon a few weeks ago, and the speaker said that he had never seen guns in someone's house. And some of y'all were like, uh, what? Like, we're in the South. Like, we have, again, context matters, right? So this individual, this communicator was from the Northeast, he was a pastor in the Northeast for several years. He had moved to the, the Southeast to become a pastor. And he went into one of his friend's houses and, and they began to pull out all these guns and his mind was blown, no pun intended. But all these, all these guns were kind of laid out, these, these handguns, these rifles, these antiques. But the speaker went on to say that his eyes kept being drawn to this one particular type of gun and he had never really seen anything like it. And he asked his buddy, he said, hey, hey, what, what's that one? He goes, oh, that's a sawed-off shotgun. He goes, what, what's that for? He goes, oh, that's to protect my family if somebody ever comes in the house. He said, well, why, why do you use that one to protect your family? And, and his buddy said, it's because it has two safeties. It's got a button on it, and it's got this noise. <laughs> Some of y'all heard that. you like, oh, I know. What kind of church did I come to this morning? <laughs> Now, now here, here's the point that I want to make. There's a lot of us in here that, 
that your ears kind of puckered up when you, you heard that noise. Some of you knew exactly what that sound was. In fact, for some of you, it makes your chest get kind of big because you're like, I can, I can protect my family. I can protect me and mine. Ain't nobody coming through my door. And, and you can physically stand your ground. And, and your physical warfare game, man, it is on point. You're, you're prepared to protect your family at all costs. I said this several weeks ago. There's been times I was in the military. There's times that I've, that I've gone through my house and I judge me if you want to, but I do like dry runs in my house. If somebody breaks in the front door, if somebody breaks in the back door, somebody's like, what are dry runs? Don't worry. We'll talk about it later. All right. You'll judge me if I, if, if I get, get into it right now. And I will tell you this. I wasn't going to tell you, but uh, this is not in my notes. We were on vacation. It's been three or four weeks ago. And we were out, um, has anybody ever been to Outer Banks, like Kerala Island? You drive on the beach and the houses are way out there. There is nothing around. If something happens to you, just sit down and pray because it's going to take the police or the ambulance an hour to get there, right? You have to drive on the beach to get to your house. Well, we pull up to our Airbnb that we were staying in. We were the first couple family that was there. There was a couple other families that were meeting us there. And the front door was open. And I was like, uh-uh, not playing with that. So I had a, an item that I took out of my truck. And I went to clear the house to make sure that no, nobody was in the house. Like, I, I want to physically be able to protect my family at any given time. I don't work out to look good. I work out so people won't mess. I want somebody to like walk down the street and go, I don't want to mess with that guy. I don't want to mess with that family. I want to physically be able to protect my family. And many of us live that way. But there's a deeper question that we have to acknowledge. Shrinking back isn't just shrinking back physically. It's about shrinking back spiritually. So let me ask you this question. How is your spiritual warfare? Because Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do we spiritually protect our homes the way we physically protect our homes? Do, do, we, do we spiritually protect our church the way we would physically protect our church? If someone came through our doors right now and wanted to harm the individuals in this church, there are many that would rush towards whoever or whatever came through that door. Why don't we do the same thing when the enemy tries to bust through the door? Why don't we spiritually stand our ground? Because our struggle is not against the powers and the authorities of, of the physical world, but of the spiritual world. Zach, this is kind of weird. Why are you talking about the spiritual? Listen, if you believe in heaven, you got to believe in hell. If you believe in good, you got to believe in the bad. And it's about time that we shed light on the negative. We shed light on the enemy. We shed light on sin in and of itself, that it has to flee. When light is present, the enemy can't be around. How is your spiritual warfare? Do you shrink back or do you stand your ground? Maybe you've lacked leadership confidence. Maybe you've lacked spiritual confidence. Maybe you've lacked confidence in yourself. Maybe you've lacked confidence in your calling, but not today because Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39 says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We're not called to shrink back. We're not called to cower back. We're called to stand our ground. How do we stand our ground? We have faith. Faith in one person and one person alone, and his name is Jesus. So as you stand all across this room, 
as we step back into to worship for just a moment. Today we stand firm in the confidence that has been given to us and we do not shrink back. We have to stop focusing on what we are not and start focusing on what God has created us to be. It's time for all of us in this room to step back into the confidence that the Lord has graced you with and it starts by not shrinking back and stepping back in to worship. Let's praise Jesus for who he is.